I want to live a life where I'm able to take care of the ones that I love, number one. Um, because I think realistically money and all this stuff is great, but if you can't take care of the people that are the closest to you, then what's it all for? And I think that got rooted in me from a very early age of, you know, wanting to start my entrepreneurship journey. My name is Sam Park. So I've actually dropped out of school twice and I'm currently running a business full time. Today we were interviewing Sam Park. Number two, we help brands basically navigate Gen Z. I think the closest catalyst to me was my mom during that perspective. Just like the bond and the relationship that we've had in terms of like coming to a whole new country and like she was like the only rock for me like growing up. And my mom would be sleeping on the pull-out couch and I'm like, I don't need any more motivation than that. KB looked at me and said, Sam, I need money. Like, I can't do this anymore. I literally have run out of savings. I was like, KB, we're gonna split this. I'm gonna give you two, I'm gonna take two for myself. I think we're the largest and the fastest growing social network in the country right now. Just know that life can change very quickly within a couple years, even a couple months, um, as long as you're living out your truth and trying to meet yourself in the middle. All right, thank you so much, Sam, for coming on the podcast. Thank you um, for having me. To start us off, I've heard a little bit about your story. Um, and I know even when you shared with me your story, you talked about what, what it was like growing up and moving here. Mm. Um, tell me more about what life was like just growing up in your family, uh, moving here to Vancouver. Um, yeah. Wow, you're coming out with the, the Let's heater go, question yeah. right away. Okay. Um, I think my journey has been kind of like all over the place. I, I grew up in Korea, South Korea. Um, I was born and raised there until I was seven. And then my mom decided to say, you know what, we're going to go overseas and we're going to go live in Canada. And first, originally, we we're supposed to move to New York. Um, but ever, ever since that big incident happened, 9-11, my mom's like, you know what, maybe Canada's a better spot. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what made us move to Vancouver. And then so I grew up in Vancouver for the majority of my life now. Um, I went to school here. I went to and then I guess I didn't really go to university here. But I, once I got here at seven, you know, um, I just grew up like every kid would. Yeah. And yeah, I just kind of kind of waddle my journey over here. Yeah. I know you mentioned, obviously, I think you say when you were six or when you were seven. Yeah. Um, what was it like living in a new place, completely different or a new language, I'm assuming as well? Yeah. Um, how, how did you adjust to um, this this new lifestyle and um, with your family as well? Um you said you have siblings, right? Yeah, I have two older sisters. Um, they moved with us too. So I have two older sisters, 12 and 15 years older than me. So I, I, I grew up having three moms, basically. Yeah. So the funny saying goes is that if one person asked me to do the dishes, I would hear it two to three more times yeah. in a silo. <laughs> um, and so I was, yeah, I was given a lot of love growing up. But um, yeah, when we moved here, we didn't move without my dad, um, just mainly because my mom and my dad separated at an early age. And because of that, I think growing up here was really tough. Like there wasn't a lot of financial help. Um, it was kind of like my three, my three ladies and myself just kind of growing up together. Um, and we, when we first got here, I think we lived in like a one bedroom apartment with four people. And I was like maximum, like, you know, 380 square feet during wow. that time. And so, um, I, I didn't realize this was not normal growing up where I slept in the same bed with my mom until I was 15. You know, wow. and I didn't really know that, but I ended up going to school, ironically, in the, in like the richest part of town in West Vancouver. Yeah. And so my friends are living in multi-million dollar homes while I'm coming home to a, you know, a 380 square foot home, you know, with three other people that I'm living with my family. And so I think kind of that discrepancy between like those two worlds really um, helped me become who I am and kind of forming my narrative and 
kind of adjusting we like our family we didn't know a dime of english when we got here yeah i got shoved into fast track esl i had to pick up english in like i think six to eight months whoa um which i think was pretty quick but obviously given that i was young i got pretty immersed pretty quickly yeah and then yeah i got thrown into an all english school and then off to the races i went and um i guess going to school and being surrounded with people that have a completely different lifestyle as you right yeah uh what was that like like for me i know um i could definitely relate to some parts of your story as well you know um i was always the kid that like all my friends would be getting new playstations and stuff and then they asked me like where's your playstation i'm like yo <laughs> like i don't know if like i can even ask my parents for that like i know we oh, aren't in the best like financial situation right yeah. like um and and you still like although you're young you notice these things right so, oh for sure um yeah what was what was that like like how do you deal with that like dude in school it, and stuff? it was shitty right like you don't want to when you're a kid you have such a limited perception of the world outside of the ones that you're actually directly seeing and for me i was like my friends are going on a trip to hawaii with a cabin and a whistler yeah and my ass is like mom what are we doing this summer like we're staying home we working yeah i'm like okay like you know for me i was just like okay obviously we're just not in a position to do those things and i think that's kind of what kind of seeded the the ambition and the passion of like you know what i want to live a life where i'm able to take care of the ones that i love number one um because i think realistically money and all this stuff is great but if you can't take care of the people that are the closest to you then what's it all for and i think that got rooted in me from a very early age of you know, wanting to start my entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was difficult, but I think I give a lot of that credit to not having those things and watching other people have it. Um, I know I, I give that a lot of credit in terms of the man that I'm today. So yeah. And I, really. yeah, I feel like when, as you say, like when you don't have some of these things, you really understand the value of it. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. And, and you know what it takes to have certain things and certain and not have certain things you know where like the privileges people have yeah um and things of the sort i know you talked about how that was sort of a seed to your journey in entrepreneurship right um there was some initial uh i guess hustles you'd call them um or entrepreneurial opportunities that that you sought out when you were in school right yeah and i guess that's where it sort of all started talk to me about that and and some of the things you did there yeah so it's funny because I actually, I feel like I see myself so much as a person that's, you know, in the business world and doing what I'm doing now. Um, but it wasn't always this way. I, I actually despised people that did business when I was growing up. Really? Um, mainly because I was so, I think, traumatized but by my dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my dad ended up going bankrupt and it put us in a really tough situation just as, as an overall family. And in our family, we had kind of a negative connotation that it's like, okay, I'm the only other man in the house outside of my father. And my mom was honestly terrified of me doing business because it's like what happens the same thing that happened to dad happens to you and you know we brought you all the way here to have a stable life and a stable career why can't you just go to western or go to a university and go become an engineer at you know at the big four or like you know at a fan company yeah um and so i grew up almost not wanting and not believing that i could do business period because I was like, I'm going to be just like my dad. Um, that's why I was always terrified to even understand business and learn business. And that's why I think I always lean more towards like the creative art side. Yeah. And so I was always like a drama kid. Like I loved music growing up. I loved art. And then I think grade 11 hit where one of my best friends at the time, he was like, by the way, during this time, I'm not the best at school. I'm yeah. like, you know, you know, I'm always a kid getting, you know, kicked out of class yeah. or whatever. Um, I wasn't terrible at school, but I just 
didn't care enough for it. And during that time, it's like I didn't know where to fixate my energy outside of like playing sports and hanging out with friends and like partying. Um, and when my friends introduced me to this concept of like entrepreneurship and building a business, I think it just caught on like wildfire. Um, and I think a part of it has to do with the genes. Like my mom, she's a hairstylist and she's been running her own shop for the last little bit nice, uh, or for majority of her life. And then my dad also is an entrepreneur as well. And so I think the DNA and the genes kind of kicked in was like, damn, this feels really natural to me. And yeah, did everything from a construction business to building an Alzheimer's app, um, to basically help with patients, tried selling little, uh, websites to small businesses nice. and restaurants, um, you know, built you know, social media pages for real estate agents and fitness trainers. Yeah. that's kind of how it all started. Just like taking very small steps in that field. And then after two years of that in grade 12, I realized, okay, I'm going to spend four years out of school. I'm going to go 50 to $80,000 in debt. If I live on a campus and I spend the four years getting that I'll start, I'll get out the gates by having a 70 to 80,000 student loan. Um, on top of that, I'm going to get an entry level job, which might pay me anywhere from 50 to 75 K in business. Um, I didn't even get into business school, so I got into an art school. So I was like, okay, maybe this doesn't make sense. And so I said, the four years that I would spend at school versus the four years that I'd spend by myself and investing into myself, what am I willing to bet on? Yeah. And I realized that I could do more with those four years within my time than yeah. I felt like, um, which is kind of absurd and crazy to me at the time. Like yeah. thinking back at it now, like maybe I was just a bit delusional, but um, you know, it was, it was a time where I felt like I needed to make results quicker than within four years to help my mom and help, help the, help the family. And so, um, I just kind of took a swing and yeah, and just try to go for it. Yeah. I feel like going a little bit back, right. You mentioned that I think in grade 11, mm -hmm. your friends introduced you to entrepreneurship. Yeah. Now from a lot of people I talked to, I noticed there's this theme of, you know, like surrounding yourself with the right people and, yeah. and having the right friends. Like for me, it was only until I think grade nine or 10 that I s started like acknowledging that and realizing it. Yeah. I had my boys growing up. And as you say, like all we do is like talk about like girls and partying yeah. and like, you know, having a good time and stuff. never really cared about school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, tell me more about that. Like who are, who are these like people that, that, that guided you, especially in those early years, um, and, and how did you come about that? Was it like a realization you had or like, it was um, funny. It, it honestly came down to well, So a lot of the times, like when I was in school, none of my guys really understood what I was doing, Yeah, you know? And like, um, yeah, they just, it was tough to, it was tough to understand because you're like, okay. And you have to also give in the context, like they don't have to worry about student loans the same way that I do. Yeah. Right. Like I can't spend the same amount or things like that. And so it's like, okay if you're willing to take a journey on yourself, like, and you take an, any normal 18 year old kid saying that they're going to take over the world and build a business. Like you're like, okay, like, yeah, what are you doing? You yeah. know, like go get some experience, go figure this stuff out, go learn at school. Um, but during that time I, I was just like really pot committed because I think my purpose was a lot more real in terms of like my reality of the situation that yeah. I was in. I was like, I want to change my situation and I want to change the reality that I live in. And I felt like, the people that were honestly, I think the closest catalyst to me was my mom during that perspective and that time, because just like the bond and the relationship that we've had in terms of like coming to a whole new country. And like, she was like the only rock for me, like growing up. And so I was like, um, I'm willing to bet on, you know, trying to make that situation the best it can be, especially for my mom. And I was like, you know what, like what type of person would I be if I didn't take a chance on, you know, trying to actually pursue this life? Um, 
for myself most importantly, but for like for my mom as well. And so that's literally honestly how it started is like, that was the main catalyst. And so it goes crazy as like, I remember when I was on LinkedIn, when I first joined LinkedIn, I literally made my like, you know, on the title you can put like founder of yeah, X or yeah. I work here at company. Yeah. I literally put in there, I'm going to buy a house using LinkedIn uh, nice. for my mom. That was my first thing. Nice. And I think about it. I'm like, man, that's so corny and stupid. <laughs> but looking back at it now, I'm like, I think, a lot of my why, my purpose came from that in terms of not necessarily the people around me. I think the people around me were great help, but I think the thing that really kept me up at night in terms of working hard and just being passionate, trying to like make this thing a reality was really because of my mom. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like, and and I see that in a lot of people that are successful and that have that are doing like cool stuff. Like yeah. there is that why and there's that something that they're working towards. But there's also a lot of, I guess, kids or just people that would be in the same situation and you know go through experiences of like drug abuse or yeah um sort of don't have um maybe the right mentors or the right people in their lives or or that guy like i'm curious to learn like yes you did have you did want to come off the situation that you did right yeah. and and your mom's story um is one that you wanted to change that and, and you had that bond with her and the rest of your family yeah. and you didn't want to change things but how did you go from having that, acknowledging that, to actually acting upon it? Like, what was that? I know you said you s- tried a small, like, hustles and stuff um, and, and did all these different businesses. And But then how did you go from that to, like, you know, in grade 12, you said uh, you started, you know, becoming more intentional about not going to school and stuff. Yeah. Like, what was going through your head at that time? Well, my, it's funny because I, I did it a little bit blindly and I'm looking back at it in my life. I used to be very black or white in terms mm. of how I made decisions. It's either I'm pot committed and I only have plan A and I have no plan B. Yeah. And I'm going to do whatever it takes, takes. to make plan A work. That yeah. was kind of like the the self-guru, like yeah. motivational speech, that the type of stuff that I was feeding in my brain at the time. Yeah. And so I really saw it black and white. It's either, Sam, you do this and you become the man that you said you're going to become or you just don't. It was very black and white for me. And so I think the first thing that happened was like in terms of sorry the question was how did i motivate myself or or like yeah like what was what was your mindset at the time like what was going through your head yeah um in terms of that well the first thing is you can talk about mindset and all this stuff you want but shit when you have bills to pay yeah um because during that time we what we did was we lived in a two-bedroom apartment but we rented out the master bedroom to like international students because we couldn't afford the bills during that mm. time and so my mom was sleeping on the pull-out couch and my mom it sounds weird, but my mom never wanted to like, she's always wanted to give me my own room. That was like her big dream. Yeah. A big dream of hers. And every time I was like, mom, you can sleep in the room and I'll sleep on the couch. Like it was just our living situation at the time. She wouldn't let me sleep on the couch. couch. Like, at least the one thing that I want to do for you is to have your own space for at least a couple of years before yeah. you go do your own thing. And I remember during that time when I first dropped out of school, like shit was so hard. Um, because number one, I don't know how to run a business, you know? And number two, I told people that I'm pursuing this big dream and I have nothing to show for it. I just dropped out of Western and I'm like, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And so during that time, I used to come home every day after working at a coffee shop at the Vancouver Public Library and my mom would be sleeping on the pull-out couch and I'm like, I don't need any more motivation than that. When you're like that when your is it, yeah. working 10 hours a day, sitting at the hair salon, trying to figure out how to make, you know, money and support me and my dreams, it's like, it's just you don't need any more fire than that. You, there's bills to pay and there's people that you got to take care of. Mindset, motivation, that's really all it was for me. It's just like we got to make something happen and I want to take care of the people that I love. Yeah. So you dropped out of school. 
Um, you said you worked at a coffee shop. Yeah. Um, but whilst you're doing this, you're starting to build something. Well, so let's take a step back. So, yeah. Um, what happened was I got into school um, at Western, and then I put in my deposit in grade 12, and then I decided to say, fuck it, I'm not going to go. Yeah. And then I called my mom, and I was like, mom, I'm not going to go to Western. And she's like, okay, pack your stuff and get out. Get out of the house. And my sister called me and said, pack your stuff and get out of the house. So we didn't support you get this far to for you to just drop out. Um, so if you're not supporting us, then you're working. That's the only way. If you're yeah. not studying, then you're working. Yeah. And that was the ultimatum that I got. And so I was like, you know what? Let me try this business thing. Just give me a year to figure this thing out. Think about it as like a gap year. If I don't do anything you know, useful with this time, I'll go back to school, yeah. I promise. Um, and then during that year, I think for the first three to four months, I we ran out of clients. There's no clients paying us anymore. We did these one-off campaigns and there was no bills. There was no money being made. And so I had to go pick up a job at a, I worked at the Sheraton Wall Center as a busboy. Um, at, it's a restaurant yeah. and, and you know, it's at a hotel and I worked as a busboy there. And then I also picked up a job doing social media marketing for a moving company. Nice. And then during that time I dropped out of school. I was like, I got to go back to school. So I tried to apply for business school at SFU and then I realized my marks weren't good enough to get into business school. So I had to retake high school courses to get back into, uh, into the business program. And then during that time I was like, I still need to try building a business. And so I was juggling two jobs, taking two online full-time courses and trying to start a business during that time. And then, you know, I got lucky to a point where we, we landed a couple contracts on the business side, um, doing social media marketing for tourism companies um, where I was able to drop both those jobs and then do school and building my business full-time. And then I landed at SFU BD and I did a semester and a half there. And then I dropped out again um, to basically go back into building my business full-time. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying that bit of the podcast. I was hoping if you can potentially leave a review or subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're listening on YouTube, it would honestly mean the world and this will help us to reach to more people and have that impact that we want to have. Thank you. You you were doing one and a half semesters as of you. Yeah. And you're also building the business at the same time. Yeah. We're talking about crunch. Yeah. Media at the oh time. my gosh. Okay. Yeah. We're going way back. <laughs> Holy smokes. So, so tell me more about the business, how you went about it. I know you did mention you were always more on the creative side and you loved like, um, the arts and, and yeah. that bit of it. Um, but what is it about, I guess, starting a media company? How did you learn some of those initial skills, like filming, editing, all of that stuff? So, you know, so f the funny thing about what I realized, like looking back at my career, I never made the videos myself. Mm -hmm. I always worked with creatives to basically build it. Nice. And so my first gigs, I realized when I first started the business, I literally got deals and then I hired videographers to do the deals for, nice. for the job, essentially. Yeah. And... Like in terms of how we kind of got into crunch, it's crazy. No one ever mentions crunch. But yeah. like that's probably one of the times I learned the most about how to build like digital. Um, right when I first dropped out of school, like out of Western before the SFU story, um, I ended up getting like Gary, I, Gary V was a massive inspiration during that time. That was like the big era where Gary V exploded onto the yeah. scene. And I remember watching this guy and I was like, I dropped out of school and he's like the only guy that I actually like feel like the stuff and the advice that he was giving me was actually super helpful yeah. during that time. And so I was like, how crazy would it be if I worked for this guy? And so I ended up like reaching out and applying through their job portal and I didn't hear back. So I literally went on Gary V, like GaryVaynerchuk.com, like on GaryV.com. Yeah. And I remade his whole entire website and I put my face on there and said, hey, I'm willing, to, I just dropped out of school. I'm willing to move to New York if you give me a job, like give me an internship and I'll, 
I'll figure it out. Yeah. And then I sent it and I ended up getting a job interview um, at VaynerMedia. And then that didn't go through. And I reached out again um, a couple months after, but this time I sent over a pair of shoes. So I remember I had like $36 in my bank account. I went to H&M and I bought these dress shoes for $28. Yeah. And I brought one shoe over um, and I put it in a box and sent it to their head office. Nice. And with a letter inside saying, um, I'm sending one shoe to represent that I got one foot in the door. Do you mind if I come down with the, with the other shoe in person to give it to you for an opportunity to work at Vayner? I didn't hear back because I'm thinking, shit, this sucks. Yeah. Literally five days after, I was like, what if I created like an Instagram resume? So I, what I did was during that time, I took like my resume, I built an online version of it yeah. and I put it and I built it on my Instagram and I followed every single exec at VaynerMedia. Nice. And then I basically said, hey, I really am interested in working here. And the next day, Gary retweeted my resume on, on his Twitter. And oh. I was like, oh shit. It's like, look at this kid and you know, doing a creative way to get people's attention. And then I was like, oh my God, this could be an awesome opportunity for me to go down to New York yeah. and build a business. Yeah. And then shit, I still didn't get that job, you know? And so I felt like I did all of this and then it didn't land anywhere. But then one thing that I learned from that process and watching a lot of Gary's content was I used to mimic his keynotes and how he talked and you know wanting to be like a like a younger Gary V yeah. and then that taught me and like really developed a passion for me in terms of social media and then I started using that to grow my own comic pages I grew it to like 30,000 followers um, crunch was like a food page at the time I basically partnered with local restaurants to do a lot of content nice. um, taking pictures and built like an aggregated um, page for like showcasing local food in the area and then yeah, during that time, like I was running my own agency and so I was helping franchises and restaurants basically expand their social media presence during that time um, and stuff like that. And those were kind of like the small things that were paying the bills. And yeah, that's how it kind of evolved. And then I realized when I went to Toronto, I got into this program called Next Canada. Yeah. And um, I was like, you know, was, yeah, there's this program. They like shove like 90 students across Canada in like this tiny room and they make you compete almost like Shark Tank for 36 spots. And for thirty uh, for the thirty six people that are in the program, um, the program is called Next Thirty Six. Yeah. And then they basically bring in you know the top talent in Canada in terms of business investors, you know like really successful people to come coach you and teach you for like a three month program in Toronto while you guys are all living in the same building essentially. Wow. Um, and there's like all these resources and people that you have access to. And when I went there, I realized like, shit, I don't want to like, I don't want to do it local anymore. I want to yeah. do something bigger. Yeah. Like it's cool doing local restaurant stuff, but I'm like, I want to build something bigger. And that's kind of the idea that seeded in me to start Joybox. So after that, I came back home exhausted. I was like, I don't want to touch business again. I was so burnt out. I came home and then I like sat at my desk and I sat at my mom's hair salon and then my mom's hair, my, my mom's client was like, Hey, Sam, so like, what's this new thing called TikTok? And yeah. I was like, I don't know. Like, this is September 2019. So I posted one video, ended up going viral. It was literally a before and after of a haircut. Wow. And I was like, shit, I had zero followers. I gained like 8,000 followers off of one post. My brain immediately started going off. I was like, I've built audiences on LinkedIn, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's an opportunity for me to build a, like a BuzzFeed out of TikTok. TikTok yeah. And then that kind of gave the birth to Joybox, um, which is now a short form media company. Wow, I feel like there's there's so much there, right? From yeah, this like, shit's yeah. uh, there's no linear like as <laughs> yeah. much as I want to explain this in like a linear yeah. fashion. No, it's yeah. just this shit goes in so many different directions. Exactly, there's no template to follow here. No, I agree, you know, and but. and and I think that's that's the biggest takeaway, right? Like, 
I feel like something about your journey that I personally connect all the dots is every time you saw an idea or an opportunity to do something, yeah. you were like, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, like, whatever it takes, everything from potentially working with Gary Vee. I went through a Gary Vee phase as well. And yeah. I was like, dude, I want to meet this guy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is my dream. Like, yeah. everything that, like, I'll listen to all his podcasts, like, watch all his videos, like, uh, follow all his pages and and... But then the difference between me and you at the time was you were like, I'm going to work with this guy and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And you tried multiple times and you tried creatively, right? Um, so I think something that I can take from your journey is the fact that you really pushed and, and you do whatever it takes to to get to where you want to get. And, and that is that larger thing that you want to work, something bigger than yourself, right? Um, next 36, for anyone that's listening... Talk to me more about those three months that, that you were part of it. You're part of Canada's, you know, best 36 young aspirational people that are all, you know, the top talent. Uh, what was what were those three months like? Um, what did you learn there? Um, yeah, just tell me more about it. Dude, that program was crazy. Um, that's literally the best way to describe the program because holy shit, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into until you're in there. Yeah. Um, I remember during that time, I felt so underqualified to be there because I was the only kid there that didn't have a bachelor's or a PhD. Like mm. everybody in there had some sort of really, hey, I just went to Stanford and yeah. I'm like, fuck man, I didn't go to school. I've been doing social media marketing for like small little businesses. I'm yeah. like, I don't belong here, you yeah. know? And then you go into these rooms and there's these billionaires that come in and they're like giving you business advice. I'm like, dog like i can barely pay for yeah. my own shit you literally like yeah run so many cool businesses and so i was in this position where you know next 36 was a massive blessing for me to look at the world from a bigger scope my mom always said it's better to be a smaller fish in a big pond than it is to be a small fish uh, a big fish in a small pond. small pond and so the one thing that we always prioritize one thing she always told me was hey you got to make sure you get outside of your comfort zone and see bigger things because you only go as far as you can see at the end of the day and so for me, Next36 was that component of, you know, I've seen what it's like to be at the very bottom and be broke as shit. Let's go to the very top yeah. and see how, like, you know, people that really run amazing businesses and how they operate. Um, and you're surrounded by people that are just as ambitious as you are in terms of like, hey, I'm here to build a business. Like, you have to be venture ready um, in three months from idea ideation to being able to take the funding and be able to run with it. Yeah. During that time, I had zero understanding. My majority of my background was building service-based businesses, mm. um, again, which is very like immigrant-like. You're yeah. always trading your time for money at that exactly. point. Um, and so for me, I was like, this idea of selling a product and being able to build something that I don't have to be there while it sells was a whole new idea to me. Yeah. And that was something that I was really interested in. And I think that's kind of the impact in terms of scale that Next36 taught me. It was like, okay, Sam, like, instead of just thinking how to try you know, trade your time for money. How can you build something that's scalable? So your business runs for you. You don't work for the business essentially. Makes sense. Yeah. And then fast forward, you do talk about, you know, learning about TikTok, you had your mom's hair salon. Yeah. Um, you put that first video and it goes viral and you're like, yo, there's actually an opportunity here and um, I want to do something about this. Yeah. How did you go from Joybox to, I guess, what it is today? Or what, yeah. what, what, what was... I guess those next steps after that first video, right? Like, um, how do you follow up with that? Because I feel like a lot of people, uh, like, you hear that more often now, you know? Like, I had one video, it went viral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what next now? Like, yeah. how do you move forward from there? 
so I was really lucky because I'm literally just thinking about my career now. Like majority of my career, if you think about the areas that I was able to make money and like sustain myself in doing this, like um, like when LinkedIn was really popping back in like 2019, 2018, yeah. I like started posting content on there. I was like getting half a million views on my content. Yeah. I was like, this shit's fucking crazy. Yeah. Organic reach and distribution for social platforms that are early in their life cycle they reward organic reach. And so yeah. if you can time it and build a career out of that, which many companies have like complex, Buzzfeed, tasty, there's so many different media companies that yeah. I can mention. Um, that's what they leverage to grow. And so for me, I was like, I need to do that on a smaller scale for my personal brand. And so like, even one thing that I felt like kind of legitimized my portfolio a little bit when I was a freaking 19 year old, 20 year, 20 year old kid trying to figure this game out was I was able to host and sell out a LinkedIn event and a Microsoft event. So I was able to sell out 200 tickets, 300 tickets with no marketing just by myself. Wow. I flew in the speakers using the money and then I used that deposit to basically secure the, the, the venue space and then the catering and all that yeah. stuff. And then when I started to associate with people that necessarily, I wouldn't have access to like, I would never be able to speak. I would never be able to speak on stage like that with my resume at that time. Yeah. But because I was hosting the event, I could do whatever the hell exactly, I wanted. Yeah. Right. So I brought in the most successful people that I knew at the time. I flew them out and I said, Hey, I'm doing this event with LinkedIn. Like, do you mind speaking? I became the moderator. And then as soon as I started doing that, I started getting asked to speak and asked to moderate more. And so that's my brain went off as like, if you have the audience, you can build a business out of it. And so when that first video went viral, I was like, TikTok short form video is going to explode and it's going to become the next Instagram. And yeah. this is September 2019 before COVID happened. So I picked up the phone and I called every single talent uh, talent manager that I knew that worked in the space. So mm. back in Vine and stuff like that. And they're like, yeah, like this is a great space, but there's only kids here. And nobody wants to do this platform. And then I would call brands and I'd be like, hey, like, would you be interested in buying our services at all? Yeah. No, sorry, TikTok's just for young kids. It's associated. There's a lot of politics around it with yeah. ByteDance and China. Yeah. They're like, yeah, this is, we're not, we can't do this. Yeah. And then I was like, shit, we know this is going to be where the world's going to go. Um, and the backstory to this is that after I came back from next Canada, I saved up enough money to buy my mom a house. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And I think that was right. And, but the, 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 the hard part was when I put the, all my deposit in, I was in debt for 25 K. Mm -hmm. And so I was in this position where I gave literally all my money to my mom and I was in $25,000 in debt. Live in a great house, but at the end of the day, I had zero money and I had no idea where to go. You kind of had to start from scratch. I literally started from scratch. Um, and that was another psychological thing for me. It's like you make your first hundred grand you've ever made in your life and you give it away. Yeah. You know, and you're like, I work my ass off for this. But then you start thinking, okay, what's next? And so for me, this idea for Joybox came through magically at the hair salon. And then first video goes viral. I try to call up every single videographer that I know to basically help make short form content. Yeah. I can't shoot content. I can't, I'm mooching off studio space. Yeah. Like, Hey, like, can we borrow your studio? Yeah. Give us free time. And then I ended up meeting, uh, Kamar KB, my business partner. Yeah. And he's like a music video director. And I called him. I was like, yo, I'm doing this thing for Joybox. Called him at like midnight. He was like the last videographer that I called. And he was so pissed off. He's like, Sam, why are you calling me last? Yeah. And then we basically said, let's do it. And then from January till I think April, I think KB created two videos a day. And during that time, first month, uh, like I, we had like freaking we KB and I were not we were we didn't have any money at that time yeah barely had enough rent uh rent money and then we started basically paying for studio time and started creating videos and like we brought in our friends we brought in comedians local artists and then we started chopping up videos and it ended up going viral after viral after viral and our pages started to grow and grow and yeah. grow the issue is that we're doing like thirty million views in a month making zero dollars mm. out of it and we're like how the hell are we supposed to build this business? And I think in the last month, I think it was month four in April or last month in March, 
Um, I literally looked at KB. I was like, KB looked at me. He said, Sam, I need money. Like, I can't do this anymore. I literally have run out of savings. Yeah. And during that time, I think I had like $4,000 left because I just landed like a small design client. Um, and then I was like, KB, we're going to split this. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to take two for myself. And then we're going to basically see how this last month goes. And then last month and like, I think two weeks left, I get a call. I just spoke at a, like an event that I flew myself down to for free to yeah. like get more exposure in yeah. San Diego. Um, and I get this call and saying, Hey, we ended up at a pitch table with Ashton Kutcher. Um, you know, they, they're looking for a TikTok agency to basically build out their short form content and their platform. Would you be interested? There's like, like I think 10 other agencies that are competing. Like, yeah. So what's required? It's like the way there's like, 20 page proposal that you need to fill out. And yeah. I was like, we have six days. What are you talking about? It's like, oh, yeah, we'll get it done. And then I remember we pitched and we ended up landing that deal. And that was like the first deal where it's like, we built the page, people saw the stuff that we made. And that was a really good case study where other brands felt safe enough to start investing with us. Mm. Um, and so we did the work beforehand and we used those exact same formats. And then those videos that we ended up creating for Thorn, which was co-founded by Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore, they ended up going viral. Well, like we're talking like 10 million views, 20 million views. And during that time, like the client expectation was like, hey, can you guys deliver like 20 million views? Um, over the time span of six months, we delivered like 200 million in like well, two months. And so they're like, this is crazy. And that's kind of how it kind of developed in terms of us being able to slowly get a cadence building with reputable brands and like music record labels and stuff like that. And then earlier this year, we were acquired by a company called Game Lancer, which is the largest gaming network on social. Um, and so, yeah, like gaming, Game Lancer, like they have 29 channels, like 33 million followers, um, averaging like 2 billion monthly views. We've become their creative studio to basically create content for across their network um, and different brands that we work with now. So like that's kind of been the journey from literally creating TikTok content, now being acquired, and then hopefully... I think we're the largest and the fastest growing social network in the country right now. Well, if not in all of North America, that is huge. I yeah. mean, I want to talk a little bit about that phase when you had that small client and four thousand dollars. Yeah, and you and you you and KB, your business partner, you guys, you decided to split that money and and you were like, you know, this is the last month. Let's give it one last shot and and let's go from there. A lot of people in those moments would probably be like, yo, this is it. Like I'm done. Right. Like I'm like, I need to figure out money. Right. Yeah, yeah. And looking back at that moment, like what was going through your head? Like, why were you like, why did you have all that confidence of like, you know, TikTok is going to be the thing. Um, and, and, and the company, I mean, I know you did have that validation. You were getting the views, but yeah. the monetization aspect. Well, so it's funny. Everyone's like, so like, what gave you the confidence? Like, what, what the fuck's the other option? Yeah. <laughs> like, fair. I dropped this and I go get a job and like, I, I built my ass off doing this. Like, like I'm supposed to give it all away. Like, I'd rather go down fighting, you yeah. know, with every dollar. Cause at least I know I can go pick up a restaurant job just to keep my bills afloat if yeah. I really needed to. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't know. I also feel like you read all these stories, like when you watch biographies of like Scooter Braun and you know how he broke in Justin Bieber and yeah. all these like, you know, massive celeb, uh, what's it called? Business moguls and stuff like that. You listen to their story. It's like always that last moment that you're about to give up and you don't, and you, this magic moment happens. And so I was like, maybe that could also be us, you know, why not? And so I think the idea and the faith in knowing that like somehow this is going to work out, um, was kind of the, the, the deciding factor and also at the same time kb like like that's my guy you know yeah. and so we just looked in and just said you know what if this goes terribly we go down with it if this goes great let's ride with it and so we just took a chance and we just ran with it
I hope you are as inspired as I was through this conversation. If you'd like to follow our journey and learn more about some of the other guests, I encourage all of you to follow us on all social media platforms at Leaders of Today Pod. We hope to continue bringing these conversations to life and hope you're able to take something away from this. So talk to me a little bit about getting that um, that first client with, you know, Ashton Kutcher. And um, now that you are, you know, you do have a good deal. That's your first like big brand you're working with. I feel like in a lot of stories and even in your own from everything that you talked about, like yeah. it takes a lot of work to yes get to like zero to a hundred you put in hundred percent of the work yeah but maintaining that success i feel like is even way harder right like how do you follow up with that how do you uh continue building from then so um i know it hasn't been too long and this is all in such a short like time frame um but how, how did you how did you go about that and and what does life look like like right now yeah, you know for, for sure. the acquisition of game lancer and so forth yeah so now so yeah it's always one thing too I, I always had this joke with kb is like okay we land a big client it's a massive celebration moment it's like yo fuck yeah we did this like this is so amazing and then reality sends sticks in and you look at the deliverables and for how much it's going to cost and you're like okay we actually have to produce all this now mm. you know and that's a whole different ball game it's yeah. one thing to sign a client but it's another thing to deliver on deliver, everything that yeah. you're saying that you'll deliver on yeah and so that's when this the latter the 50 percent of the journey starts where it's Okay, you got to this point. Now can you finish strong? Because it's not about getting in the door. It's about once you sign, how does a client feel once the contract's done? Like, yeah. are they happy to come back? Do they like you? Like, did you deliver on everything that you said you would? And so that's when the second half of the journey started for us. Um, and that's when you start getting into the mode. It's like, okay, in the agency business, you're we have the saying that you're always hunting for your next meal while eating your current meal mm. and that's the game of service right yeah. you're never creating one stationary thing that you can send sell 10 billion times you have to create one thing fulfill it and while you're fulfilling this one you have to go get the next one then the next one so it's just this hamster wheel that you get stuck in and so that's when we started to think about okay what would make sense as a business for us to keep building and that's where us being acquired into game Lancer made a lot of sense and so now if you skip forward to where we're at today with game Lancer, if you think about Game Lancer, think about them as like a, you know, a network that has 29 different channels across all social media yeah. platforms. So we own at gaming. We're the largest gaming network on social. Um, and so on top of that, we have a creative studio house that works to, you know, create campaigns and branded content across yeah. those 29 channels. And so what my life looks like today is like we just finished um, Samsung's largest social activation of the year for Canada. Like we just worked with Fred Van Vliet and NBA All-Star to direct a commercial. We did a five series commercial for them. We just launched the first um, RBC financial literacy campaign yeah. for Gen Z and social content. Um, we just um, we just recently shot uh, NFL um, in promotion yeah. of their game. So we were just in Miami, Charlotte, Philadelphia, um, shooting a bunch of NFL players. We just shot Nick Bosa. Uh, we're about to shoot Aaron Rodgers in about, a, I think, two weeks from now. Um, and then on top of that, we have another growing side of the business where we've partnered up with Snapchat to do shows. And so when you go on Snapchat and you look at through their Discover page, yeah. there are specific tiles and shows. And so we've become a partner. And now I think we have over like 15 shows that we do with Snapchat, wow. which helps to generate uh, money on a reoccurring basis monthly. Um, and then on top of that, we're just, we're moving to Toronto in January to basically guild, uh, to grow Joybox and really build it out as an entertainment network and build our own shows essentially in the nice. world of like entertainment, media and culture and hip hop. And where I guess for someone that's really starting out, right. 
where do you see the space of short form content going? I know yeah. there's a lot to do with like YouTube Shorts. Also, people like uh, they're trying to monetize their. Um, there's obviously Snapchat's like doing its own thing with Spotlight, um, TikTok, Instagram. Yeah. Where do you see this industry of like short form content? Uh, I guess curating to like Gen Z. Yeah. Um, and keeping up like. What are, what are your thoughts on that? So there's a lot. I have a lot of thoughts on this, um, mainly because we need to figure this out if we're going to keep surviving as a company. So the thing is, the thesis of creating short-form content has completely changed for brands. Instead of brands spending, you know, $5 million for a Jeep commercial, now would they rather create 50 pieces of content for $5 million yeah. and then put a shit ton of ad spend behind it and get more results? Yeah. Pro- probably. Yeah. Um, if you're Coca-Cola, instead of dropping massive commercials, like you can still do your commercials that are the classics, like the, the NFL stream, Super yeah. Bowls. Yeah. But where's your money better spent, right? Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see e-commerce brands and new age brands that are leveraging short form content, user generated content, and getting in front of audiences to sell more. When they're selling more, they're taking up market share between these traditional companies. And so now we're starting to see a, a phase where big companies that are too slow and that are not innovating in terms of content, they're losing market share to yeah. a lot of these smaller companies. Yeah. And so there's only two ways that it goes. It's either you buy them or you compete with them. Yeah. And so we're starting to see a lot of smaller companies that have grown and then they get bought out by a larger mm. company. Um, and so I think short form content has led a lot of that. One other thing that I've been thinking about is short form is changing how we search stuff. So what I'm really interested in is that YouTube is obviously owned by Google. Um, YouTube Shorts is obviously being monetized next year, and we actually have a creator that we're working with that's part of the monetization program early, yeah. like right now even. Um, and like, you know, creators are gearing up for that. We just had a chat with a creator that's getting a billion monthly views, but just hasn't been paid yet. So mm. how much does that equate to in terms of actual AdSense, it? right? Yeah. And then on top of that, like short-form content is harder to create versus traditional graphics and photos yeah so you can create a 30 30 30 graphic instagram page and you can get that for a couple hundred bucks with a great designer or a couple thousand bucks or whatever yeah to create 30 short form pieces of content for 500 bucks good luck yeah like that's really tough right especially if it's good content um and so i think we're completely changing the narrative in terms of how creative is being made internally within marketing organizations and what's the split between actual media versus actual ad spend Mm. and what's like the split that works you know instead of investing 70 percent of it into creating videos and 30 percent into ad spend does it make sense more to spend 30% on creative and 70% on ad spend spend. and really figure figuring out kind of like the delineation of where those each budgets go. Mm. Um, I think that's been a very interesting thing for us, given that obviously we work with a lot of brands and we're selling original content, we're selling UGC content, um, and seeing which brands start to favor what, and especially given like the last line of marketers that are in the workforce, they think a little bit more traditional, but as people our age and our generation start filling those marketing seats, more, more spend is going through digital. They're a lot more open to these ideas of mm. doing short form content and using that as an actual, you know, tactic to basically scale their brands. I think it's changing how decisions are being made. Wow. That's a lot, but that's, I know, sorry. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's so valuable. I yeah. mean, I feel like this space is, as you said, you have to keep up, right? Like you keep, you have to keep uh, changing that strategy and keeping up with what's working and what's not. And yeah. I feel like you couldn't have said it any better. Um, I'm curious to learn more about something that you mentioned earlier was initially that purpose and that why yeah. was buying your mom that house. Right? Yeah. Um, what would you say, I guess, that purpose is now? Like, what, what is it that you're working... And it is a tough question. Yeah. Um, 
and it's something that changes over time. Yeah. Um, but what would you like? What is what is something that that why that drives you right now? So someone special to me once told me, Sam, you live to dream for um, others. And then once you achieve that, you, you leave, you live to dream for yourself. Mm. And so I think one thing that he mentioned to me is like, you spent majority of your life and your career trying to, um, help your family. Like, what do you want to do now for yourself? Yeah. Like, what do you want to build instead of figuring out how to make more money to take care of yourself and the people around you? What do you want to build if money wasn't a big question? Mm. And so I think now we've landed in a, an idea where, I was really obsessed with this concept like joy because mm. happiness is very fleeting. Yeah. Um, and if you think about the irony of the name joy box, like, wow. Yeah. Now it makes to, sense. Yeah, yeah. So we wanted to put joy and then figure out a way to deliver joy to the world. Um, hence why we're called joy box. Um, and the way that we do that is through short form content. Right. Mm. And so how do we give moments of, you know, joy to people that are watching our content, making them laugh. Yeah. Um, and I think that can kind of mold in the purpose of, Everything that I do, we have this saying internally at our team. It's like, shit, if you're not happy and you're not joyful doing the work that you're doing, stop what you're doing and figure that shit out first. Because yeah. that's the energy that you bring into our workplace. Yeah. And if that's not set 100%, you're not going to do your best work. doesn't matter how talented or how smart you are. You have to be happy doing what you're doing, especially at our organization and the culture that we're building. It's the main DNA because that permeates through the strategies that we make. It permeates the way that we talk to our clients. It permeates the way that we talk to each other. Um, and that becomes a snowball effect. That's the flywheel that ends up building great organizations. And so I think in terms of my purpose, I want to basically build a vehicle that can help morph joy into like ways that we can put it into p parts of our, like, I guess in our business world or our marketing world, essentially, I know it sounds so corny and cheesy, but yeah. ultimately we just want to build stuff that makes people happy and have happy people while building it. Yeah. No, fair. I mean, I think that's, working on a like creating that culture in your organization is so important right yeah. like and and really taking time to think about individually where everyone's at and and creating that culture and as you say like think about what really motivates you yeah um that cultivates into the work that you actually put out i know you are you recently are now a forbes contributor as well oh, no uh, tell me about that i feel like that's that's super cool it's um, press is cool but it's really not cool like fair. i think I know a lot of people in Forbes that are supposed to be 30 under 30 and all these things, but their businesses are a fucking mess. Mm. So I never really understood, like, I guess when I was younger, I always wanted to, I wrote on my mirrors, like all the goals that I wanted to, so I could remind myself and manifest and visualization, whatever you want to call it. And then I got to this point where I'm like, shit, is a magazine really going to define who you are and how you do? And yeah. I, like me, I'm just a contributor. I'm not even under those lists. Yeah. But just watching press, I started to realize that press is just a natural way to fabricate a story to tell to the general masses you shouldn't derive value from that period. And as much as like awards and all these things are great, absolutely, for sure. But um, to me, I'm just like, it's just another outlet for us to share our story, um, whether it's Forbes or whether we do it through our own channel. So for me, I'm like, I'm grateful for the opportunity and like, I love it, but it's, yeah, for me, I try not to like put such a high value on it. Um, but yeah, it's cool. I don't know. It's yeah. cool. It's okay. Uh, I know throughout your journey, you, you really... I guess whilst you're building all these businesses and creating content for other brands and stuff, something that you continuously kept doing is also building your own personal brand and yeah. working towards, you know, networking. You talked about the events that you hosted and things of that sort. It's after I met you at, at that event, um, like people were asking me about it and I was like, um, like Sam was, Sam moderated the thing and they're like, 
oh no way you know sam park like <laughs> like and i was like whoa like how do you like someone from that went to the same high school as me back in kenya knew you and she goes to ubc now and graduated <laughs> and i'm like how you know that's what I crazy mean? i I'm, and so talk um, to me more about i guess something i i noticed that you're really good at is one like networking and building like relationships with the right people but you also growing your own personal brand um yeah talk to me about that well it's crazy because like i only thing that i really felt like i could do at the time when i was younger was i need to grow a brand because people would take me more seriously. seriously like i'd go into boardroom meetings and selling a client i'd be wearing ripped jeans and like a flannel like and i look young i'm asian like i it yeah doesn't <laughs> in, my, in my genetics yeah. right so um i i realized that if i'm going to be taken seriously at these tables and i need to get bigger budgets like i have to build something greater than myself where people can understand okay like sam's really serious and he he wants to do this well and that's what personal branding was for me and so the first two years i spent a lot of time like creating content on linkedin and yeah specifically linkedin yeah all the freaking time like yeah what it's like to drop out of school and try building a business and documenting that journey and stuff like that and so and like recently, like what I realized was during those times, it was super helpful to get into specific rooms because that's how I landed like speaking opportunities mm. and getting paid. Um, and that's when imposter syndrome sets in is that you're speaking on stages that you don't feel like you've necessarily deserved yeah. to be on. But then you're like, but at the same time, you need the fact that you're there is like shit. Just exactly. use it and like utilize it to the fullest. Um, and so that's kind of the mentality that I had. And then building Joybox, I realized that I can't do a lot of personal branding because there's a freaking business to build exactly. and bills to take care of. Yeah. And so that's when I really stepped off the gas pedal and I didn't do any personal branding or any of those initiatives in the last like two years or so. And like just beginning now, like I'm wanting to do more of like content and yeah. putting myself out there more, just the nature of the work that we do. Yeah. And I think we're doing some really incredible work, but nobody knows. Exactly. And so I like, I have to take the ownership if I'm one of the part of the leaders within this organization. Like I have to take that step forward and showcase what we're doing as a team to hopefully land us in better opportunities so we can do more cool stuff. So, yeah. yeah. No, amazing. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that, like being on both sides of it, sort of really going hard on LinkedIn and growing that brand to now really focusing on building the business and 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 this actual like a business right um i feel like it's interesting that you said because i've seen a lot of people that i guess spend a lot of time just talking about what they do versus actually doing what they need to do yeah and you need to come to a certain point where you're like why is it that i'm doing what i'm doing if it's running a business running a nonprofit, whatever it is right like working on that and delivering a hundred percent to that and then yes if you have spare time or or whilst you're doing you can document like i feel like a lot of times people talk more about what they do than they actually do yeah you know what i mean yeah and and it's it's interesting that that you mentioned that um you didn't mention imposter syndrome and we kind of talked about it um but there are also other parts of i mean clearly you're doing so much right um are there certain things that you do that i guess ensure that you know your mental well-being your physical well-being spiritual emotional well-being is is all right like how do you um how do you do that and and what are some practices like in your day-to-day -day life i guess that, that you do to make sure you're doing well yeah i um i don't know if you guys watched the new jonah hill um stutz uh documentary with his therapist that just came out and he laid it out in such a good format and it's it's like a pyramid it's like maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah you have your body 
and then your people and then yourself in that order. Right. And so the first thing is your body. You have to keep your body in check. Like I know way too many entrepreneurs that make a lot of money. They're very successful at what they do, but their body is literally deteriorating and I'm terrified for their actual health long term. Um, and that's the first thing. It's like you work your ass off to get somewhere and then you're not even around long enough to actually enjoy it or even enjoy it in the f- most optimal state. Yeah. So for me, there's three key things that are really important to me that I will never budge on. It's my diet and my sleep and my people. Mm-hmm. And so first thing is I have to sleep. So whether it's like supplementing with magnesium pills and vitamin B pills to basically calm my central nervous system before sleeping, yeah. number one. Number two, taking vitamin D pills in the morning because we don't get a lot of sunlight here, yeah. helping our body actually regulate like sunlight and the sunlight hormone. Yeah. Um, second thing is diet. I really enjoy um, like a, a diet with less carbs and refined foods. Yeah. And you start thinking about like why did I become so obsessed with this is because I suffered a long time where my body was just going through hell trying to make sure that I was running the business. Yeah. And then you start getting to a point where you're like, okay, this business is going to run me to de- run me to the ground. Yeah. And so with all this pressure, expectation, if you're not fully mentally there, your team can't rely on you. And the definition of being a good leader is being reliable and being predictable. Yeah. A good leader should be predictable. When you wake up in the morning, you should know what your leader is going to do so you can make decisions based off what that leader is doing. You can't do that with a shitty physical state and a shitty mental state. True. And so for me, like, you take care of those things. And then the people is the last component. Um, people are kind of like, when people disappear out of your life or you lose close connection with them, I think the way that Stutz documentary described it is they don't actually disappear. They just disappear over the horizon, like the same mm-hmm. way that the sun disappears. Yeah. And when you have good people into your life, what those people become is that as soon as you start to drift a little bit below and you start to lose sight of them the same way, it's like, okay, the sun's going down. Those people bring you back, back and then they pull you straight to the front and the sunlight becomes super bright again. Mm. And I think that was a really good metaphor where you start to look at who are the type of people that are, once I might disappear out of that landscape, who's going to pull me back and remind me who I am and what my values are? Because we live in a world where there's so many people telling you, you are this, you're trash, you're great. Like in business, like, you could have one meeting where your client tells you, you guys are the best. And then you walk into an investor meeting, you are trash. And you're like, what am I? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so you, you go through such highs and highs and lows and lows. But one thing that needs to be the centerpiece that you hold your mental and your physical are your values. And I think for me, not compromising on those values have been the most game changing thing when it comes to running a steady, like steady business. That's powerful. And I think that's like something that, we need to like, especially for a lot of young people, like keep reminding ourselves, like, yes, there's this whole narrative, but you got to hustle and you got to yeah. do what you got to do. Uh, but after a certain point, you need to realize like none of that matters if, if, if you're not able to wake up every day and, and be the leader that you need to be. So, but you know, one thing that's funny, I say that it's like, I think it's hard for young people that are very ambitious and like wanting to be very successful they need their big first win to mm. feel a little bit more confident and feeling like they can slow down. I, yeah. That's one thing I really struggle with. I felt like if I didn't have a big win under my belt, I felt like I was slacking and I felt like I was going to lose momentum and yeah. not get it. And yeah. so if you're out there and you're young and you're hustling, just know that, you know, maybe your body can handle it, but just as long as that's not the long-term strategy of what you're doing. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing. Makes sense. And then we are towards the end. Our last question we ask all the guests, the idea of this podcast is, to inspire any person, young, old, that you don't have to wait until tomorrow to do what you want. If you're passionate about arts, music, um, sports, whatever it may be, business, don't wait. My grade three teacher used to say, tomorrow never comes when I used to be like, I'm going to hand in my homework tomorrow. Yeah. So that's where this idea came from of 
let's be the leaders of today and start today, whatever it is. What advice would you give to that person that's listening? Hmm. Sorry, I'm just thinking. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that I would say, because it's, it's hard giving advice to people, you know, because yeah. life is so different for each person. But one thing that I recognize is that there's always this voice inside your head um, talking about and showcasing who you could be. Mm. And I feel like a lot of pain comes from depending on how big that gap gets. So the person that you are today and the person that you tell yourself that you could be, mm. and depending on how ga- how big that gap is, the more painful it becomes to live inside your own skin. And so what I would do or what I would always advise anybody closest to me is to make sure that you can shorten that gap mm. every day, whether it's through taking care of your health, taking care of the people around you, putting and investing time into energy in terms of the, the person that you want to be. Um, and again, that doesn't, you know, take a lot, but it just starts today. And ultimately when I look back on the journey, like I've been on this for the last six, seven years now, ever since I dropped out, I'm the best thing in my life that I realized is that I just didn't stop. And somehow I ended up in a position where I'm so grateful to wake up every day and like literally live out my dream. And so just know that life can change very quickly within a couple of years, even a couple months, mm-hmm. um, as long as you're living out your truth and trying to meet yourself in the middle. I love that. That is powerful, man. That's you can have ended it better. <sighs> Honestly, thank you so much for being on the podcast and I'm very confident your story will inspire so many and people will take try to, you know, shorten that gap between the person that that inner voice that that's there and, and who they actually are. So thank you so much, Sam. That was Appreciate an honor you, and, man. Yeah. Super grateful. That was fun. Cool. Alrighty. Just a quick one. If you see value in this conversation, I want to take this further and introduce you our weekly newsletter. The goal of the newsletter is to provide resources, opportunities, and show you guys some of the behind the scenes stuff that we have. So if this is of your interest and you want to gain more value from the podcast, I recommend using the link in the description to subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you.